0: How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus. You get this pure and simple. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time. John is... In mourning. Yes, he he's in, he's got a black tie on, he's got a black suit on. He looks like a Sky News presenter. Black armband. Black armband. No, you can't have black armbands. That's black Balacava. <laughs> black Balacava, the whole thing. He's in mourning for the Queen. God bless him. God bless him. He's always a royalist deep down. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. oh uh, yeah. Like my mother. Everyone's Ma's a royalist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it is, it she's,
2: is. The funny thing about my mother, she's just so Republican. Always so Republican. But love the
0: Queen. Love the Queen. What about my mother's an Irish speaker? Loves the Queen. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, it's all good. We're going to talk. Right. Okay. So we're not going to bore you with Queenie shite. Okay. What we're going to look at is whether or not, this is the, the angle we're taking today. We talked to Douglas Alexander on Thursday. You'll have remembered. And he was talking about the state of the UK. It just happened that podcast went out on the day the Queen died, because clearly we are clairvoyant about the whole thing, right? Okay. Finger on the pulse. But finger on the pulse. But what <laughs> the lack of pulse. Like, finger on the no pulse. But what we're actually going to do, <laughs> what we're actually going to do... Oh, sorry. That's such bad taste. we're actually going to do is we're going to intro with the Smiths, the Queen is dead, and then no, we're not. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the impact of the death of Queen Elizabeth on the UK, because the UK at this moment needs a leader. It needs healing. It needs a figurehead. It needs somebody that they can believe in. Bizarre as it is for us born in a republic, many of them did and do respect the royal family, believe that it's a sign of permanence. We're going to talk to Andrea Catherwood, John, who, you, who, as you know, our old mate from Indeed. Belfast, always very, very good incisive views on the United Kingdom. Andrea is coming to Kilconomics. I have spent the whole week putting together the Kilconomics program. Good man. It is I'm fantastic. really looking forward
2: to it, actually, this yeah. year. No,
0: that would be really, really good. So Kilconomics tickets go on sale Wednesday. However, if you are a Patreon, you get the first dibs on Tuesday. Okay, And these tickets sell out quickly, so the only way you can guarantee getting a ticket... Is sign up on Patreon. Give us a few names. Well, you know, obviously, you know, we've got our old friend Nassim Taleb is back. Right. You know, and that shitty... Grumpy man. <laughs> grumpy, but very, very yeah. pretty. Well, anyway, we'll hold his names. We'll announce them all next week. Okay, okay. okay. That's fair enough. That's but let's enough. go, let's go now, talk about the significance of the Queen dying.
2: But you know, the, the amazing thing when I was thinking about is the economic boom for the UK because there's now, and for China, by the way, but I love it. For, for a start they're going to have to reprint all of the currency. All the tea towels. All the tea towels, all the the stamps, all, everything is is going to change. And that's a, you know, no, it's a, a bad, it's a, that's it's a big uh, operation, that. But also, it's a huge boon for China because China make all the feckin'
0: tea towels they do, and, and, all the, and, all the, and the mugs and, and all the rest. Well, they don't make the mug that we have, right? We have a Queen Elizabeth mug, right? Of when course Shan, you do. When Shan was in primary school in Belfast and the queen's i don't know what was silver jubilee when the sex pistols 1977 yeah when the pistols silver, yeah. yeah when the pills whatever it's right pistols released god save the queen shan and all her class got queen mugs right yeah And we still have them, right? And it's up here. And we always... pride of place. We know, no, we reserve it for anyone I know who's a proper Irish Republican who comes in for a cup of tea. (laughs) We say, there you go in your Queen mug. So we have one of those. We have one of those, right? It's pride of place, only for Republicans, only for nationalists. If you're coming to the House, you get the Queen Mum mug. No, not the Queen Mum, the Queen herself, right? (laughs) Okay, but let's go to England and now talk to Andrea Catherwood about the significance, constitutionally, of the Queen dying and what comes after it. Now, one of the biggest, and I would say a serious Kilkenomics recidivist is Andrea Catherwood, journalist, commentator, presenter, the whole shebang. She'll be down in Kilkenomics, but she is on the line now from London. I want to talk about the death of the Queen. The Queen is dead, as Morrissey would say, but the impact of the death of Queen Elizabeth on the Constitution in the United Kingdom. Andrea, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good to
3: speak to you, David.
0: What do you think? Okay, does this have a material impact, not now, not next year, but in general, on the UK constitution issues? Let's talk about Scotland and talk about Northern Ireland.
3: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because this is really about Britain's sense of itself. You know, I think to many people in Britain, they almost feel that this could be a different country. Without the Queen, and you know, in some practical sense, of course, that's going to be true. You know, Sterling's going to look different. You know, the money's going to look different. Stamps are going to look different. The national anthem has changed. You know, we know, and when we're talking about Ireland and, and the possibility of a new Ireland, how things like you know how symbols like money and the national anthem are, are really important, and that's that's going to change in you know in the UK right now because there is a new head of state. You know, it's interesting. It's a time of real turbulence in, in in the UK. There's been a lot of talk about how the Queen has lived through. You know, she in her reign there were 15 prime ministers. You know, when she was 96. My kids are teenagers, and they've lived through six of them. That's quite funny. You know, we're going through. We're going through. You know, we're going through prime ministers here like a monkey through bananas. You know, there <laughs> is an awful lot of change in this country. Brexit wounds haven't even begun to heal. So, in that sense the sort of stability and constancy that she represented was, was really important. And I think that it will be felt not, you know, not in these 10 days of pageantry and, and memories of the Queen and all the things that, the, you know, the, that England, London particularly, is incredibly good at. And then you could have a coronation of Charles III. But, but longer term, I think for Scottish nationalists, yeah, th- this is a big deal because the one thing they were never sure about was how to handle the Queen when they were talking about breaking up the Union. Because, you know, a lot of people in Scotland who might have wanted to become independent still very much saw the Queen as the Queen of Scots as their head of state. And indeed, there was a kind of ambiguity around the SNP that maybe the Queen would still remain. You know, their, their figurehead, the, the head of Scotland.
0: You know, for, for a bunch of Presbyterians, they were being very Jesuitical about that. They were like dancing on the mm. hell, on, on a pen saying like, well, well on, we're going to leave the UK, but we need the Queen. So this is, this is my point mm. is that she's more than a symbol. She's more than an individual. She symbolizes a UK that may be, as you say,
3: passing. And that gives mm. nationalists of all hues an opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, you know, particularly if you think about the Commonwealth, for so many people outside of the UK, the Queen was much more than uh, than a person, than, you know, than one monarch. She was the monarch, you know. Even Emmanuel Macron, you know, from a republic, said she was your queen to us, she was the queen and she'll be with us all forever. And she's gone, you know. So I I I wonder I think the effect on the Commonwealth will be huge. You know, countries. I think it's already been mentioned in New Zealand. A country like Australia will undoubtedly change.
0: The likes of New Zealand, the likes of mm. Australia, where republicanism mm. certainly in Australia is alive, lavish, and they have they've mm. had two referendums on it.
3: Yeah, but they put it to bed, David, for the last twenty years because of
0: her. Because they because knew of that
3: the Queen was. Because but your of man, her, your man Charles. Then fairness
0: Queen. to him, like he's you know. I actually even heard on the radio yesterday, King Charles III, and I kind of guffawed, right? It's Second. impossible to see. So you think about the Queen. She's a link to the Second World War, which is huge in Britain's imagination and sense of itself.
3: Her first prime minister was Winston Churchill.
0: So there you go. So so let's look at the history of this woman. Let's look at, the, 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 the again, that, that idea that you're saying is that she is the permanent thing in all the chaos, and now mm-hmm. she's gone. I mean, mm-hmm. the empire, to the extent that, British people are still proud of it, colonialism, the extent to which lots and lots of people are not proud of it and we will actually take take a view now, but the sense that she was kind of unimpeachable and now all those things are up for discussion.
3: I think a lot of things in this country will be up for discussion, not in the short term as you say, and I think that in the media in Britain you can see reflected this sense that there's no talk of change. It's funny, I was talking to my mum, who is one of the few people that actually remembers the. The, the king dying and the new queen. And what she remembers is the excitement about this young, young woman. She was you know only 25. She was a mother of a couple of children, but she was a young, glamorous woman, as they thought of her, becoming queen. And they thought of it as a time of excitement and a time of change. There is no talk of change now. What everybody is trying to reinforce within the establishment is a sense of continuity. And, you know, this is a king, King Charles III. He's in his 70s. So there's no idea that this is a fresh, exciting, new time. This isn't in any way a kind of JFK moment where somebody new is coming in that's going to, you know, enthuse or change the nation. This is all about stability and constancy, and that is what it, the the establishment and the, the the royal family is trying to portray. So it will be very different. I think it is a momentous time, and it's about a lot more, as you say, than a symbol. You know, a lot of people in the UK feel that they are going to live in a different country without the Queen as their head of state.
0: Now, tell me, let's let's talk about your neck of the woods, Belfast, Ooh. Northern Ireland. What does it do for
3: unionism's sense of itself? Well, this is where I actually disagree with this idea about the glue, you know, the Queen being the glue that holds the nation together, the United Kingdom together. I think it is important in Scotland. I think that it's not important for the constitutional future of Northern Ireland. And here's why. So if you're a loyalist, yes, they felt a very, very, very deep connection towards the queen, but it's not as if having a different monarch, having a king is going to make them suddenly decide they'd like to vote Sinn Féin, right? Or indeed that they're more likely to want to become part of a new Ireland. So whatever, despite their deep love for the queen, Having a different monarch is not going to change the way they feel about a New Ireland. Obviously, if you're a Republican in the North, whoever the Queen or the King is doesn't make any difference the way you feel about having a New Ireland. And of course, as we all know and we've talked about before on this podcast, the people who will actually decide the future in the North are those, those sort of floating voters, the what they call the other, those people who are not aligned. They're mostly younger. Those people are really concerned about education, the NHS, the economy, those are the things that will make them vote, not who the monarch is in the UK. So I don't think that in terms of Northern Ireland, and in terms of the future of Ireland, that it makes that much difference, except the one caveat I would say is Scotland. Because I've always thought that if Scotland were to go first, then in Westminster, I think the, the the feeling about the about Northern Ireland would change, and I think that they may well think, look, what are we doing in Northern Ireland
0: now? Well, this this is exactly you know I've always thought you know every every time I've visited Scotland, right, the Scots trade much more on the royal family, on the Queen, on Balmoral, mm. on shortbread, on all. Like, when you go to Edinburgh, it feels still very British. Union Jack flies, oh, yeah. all the, the tours of Edinburgh Castle, all those things. It's very, very...
3: Well, the Scottish were bigger colonisers than the, the English everywhere. You know, if you look at look, look at who the people were in, in India, in the West Indies, all over there, there's so many Scottish people involved and so many Scottish people involved in the military. And, you know, Northern Ireland's just a much smaller place. So yes, of course, you know, they were involved in colonization as well, but not to the extent that Scotland was. I mean, these people who were engineers. They built the railways in, in India. No,
0: absolutely. And I remember you and me being together in Hong Kong years ago, mm-hmm. and there's Jardines and Flemings, these yeah. big Scottish mercantile mm-hmm. families. Kethics, yeah, yeah. And there were the Scottish people who said, they were the poshest people I've ever met, were fellas in kilts pretending they were Scottish. But they actually were Scottish because they were part of the. they were
3: Scottish because they own they own most of Scotland. Those people.
0: I know. Actually, I read something that Scotland has the least least democratic distribution of land in the
3: world. Mm. Not only in the mm. UK really? or Ireland in the world. Because, wow. Because there's vast tracts of the north of Scotland that are owned by these families.
0: Yes. Yeah. So let's just look at them. What about England? So you're saying that like, I think you're absolutely mm. right. It seems like the pound note and you know the, the post office and mm. the Queen's photo being everywhere, the God save the queen being...
3: It's, 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 God save the king I, on his majesty's secret service. You know, we're just people take an oath of allegiance to the queen, now they will take it to the king. It's, it is It is a big difference. I think there's an, another thing to think about in in England as well. England saw the most immigration from Commonwealth countries like India, Pakistan, and the West Indies, right? Now those those immigrants who came in in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and right up to today, had a, a deep affiliation to the Queen, many of them. And it was actually a unifying factor in the integration into England was the fact that wherever you'd, you'd hailed from within the Commonwealth, or if you were an Indigenous English person, that you really felt a loyalty and a love for the Queen. And so that was another constant. And that's changing too now. So we'll see, you know, that was it was she was a real unifying factor in a time of change. So I think in England it will change England's sense of self. And you know, we've got a brand new Prime Minister here. Brand new. On the day that it was announced that the Queen was gravely ill, in fact, the day she died. It was the, the energy bill was being read out, the, this huge and very important. Everybody was saying that this was the, that would be the centrepiece of Liz Truss's prime ministership was going to be what she was going to do about our soaring energy costs, You know how we were going to cope with that. Now, of course, that's not in the news at the moment because there is only one story in the news in the UK, but none of that's gone away. So, you know, people are still trying to cope with an absolutely appalling energy crisis here. You know, the cost of living crisis is huge. Brexit is not resolved. This is a time of extraordinary turbulency. And, you know, this isn't ideological. This is practical for people in the UK. So we're going to have a change of monarch, a change of the head of state at a time when people are going to be struggling to pay their bills this winter. And there is a lot of unrest. There are more strikes than we've seen since, you know, the 1970s. There is a real feeling in this country of turbulence. So I'm not saying that there would ever be a good time for the Queen to die. But in the sense that this is a very, very difficult time for the nation you know, this adds a huge amount of uncertainty to already very turbulent times. So can I ask you about, I mean,
0: we live in a republic. We find a monarchy really silly. I mean, it really looks very silly. It looks very anachronistic. It looks very archaic. It reinforces the class system because a family sit on top of a social structure. It's weird when you live in in a republic. It Actually, you forget that living in a republic does impact on your worldview profoundly because it's reinforcing your kid and all that sort of stuff, right? So, monarchies seem certainly the British monarchy. So, you've got the Dutch monarchy and the Norwegian monarchy and even the Spanish monarchy, mm-hmm. even the king abdicated the other day because he was corrupt, right? But he fed mm-hmm. off, okay? You have the Belgian monarchy. You have, a, you have a number of these things, right? To what extent now is the monarchy, the notion that the United Kingdom has this bizarre, almost medieval, hierarchy
3: is that up for grabs too we're we're about to see david i mean we will see within the next few years i you know i think at the moment those commentators who will be talking about this in the uk are not at the moment and we won't see it for a couple of weeks a couple of months but you know, you're already seeing, for example, a backlash against the fact that on Saturday today, there is no Premiership football being played in the UK because of the Queen's death. And a lot of people think that that's ridiculous. They're beginning to voice that kind of thing. Um, in terms of your, the bigger question, of course, this is going to be up for grabs. I mean, in the last, so in this century, there has been. Much less talk about a republic, I think, than there had before. I mean, remember, yes, sir, Queen I, I, you're, you're absolutely you right. The Queen wasn't very popular around the time of 1997 when Princess Diana died, and through all of that, I think that you know there is a sense that the longer the Queen lived, the more important it appeared that she was for the nation's well-being. And and I know that doesn't really, it's it's very hard to put your finger on why, but there was the sense that she was becoming more iconic as she grew older and older. And maybe there was the feeling that there was a knowledge that she couldn't go on forever. But it almost feels like in the past 20 years, certainly there was very little commentary in the media or anywhere else that she'd sort of put a foot wrong. So she became almost deified more the longer that she lived you know, that Charles will start with a fresh slate and we will see what happens. We will see what the mood of the nation is. It is very much too early to say. And I think that, you know, over the next 10 days, you're going to see a huge amount of pomp and ceremony. All the things that you're talking about are very important in the UK. And maybe it does look ridiculous elsewhere. And, you know, but I think that, you know, this is a, there's nobody is doubting that this is a pivotal moment in the UK. And that's why, you know, commentators aren't saying this out loud, but, you know, why is this so important? Why is this a defining moment? It's not just because the monarchy is passing from a mother to a son. It's because the sense of Britain's self may be changing. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's unspoken. What you're, you're articulating what people in Britain are very aware of. They're just not saying it in this moment of, sort of national grief. But absolutely, I mean, that's why this is important.
0: You know, it's, it's fascinating now because the other thing I think which is quite interesting is colonialism, the legacy of colonialism. Again, for us, when we're in the UK, what I've always found amazing is the way the British have managed to airbrush colonialism out. Okay, and they talk about the Commonwealth rather than these were colonies that were robbed, raped, uh, etc. Do you think that will change too? Because other countries have come to terms with their colonialism. Do you think that there will be a a deeper investigation of British histories? Because I think when the Queen was around, she was the head of the Commonwealth, people liked her. So therefore investigating what actually happened was regarded as an attack on her.
3: Mm, now, You see, David, I think, I think it has changed an awful lot. I think that people in this country may be proud of their role in the Second World War, largely, but I don't think they're proud of colonialism. I really don't. Particularly younger people, but I think that there is a national feeling in this country that the colonialism is something that a lot of people are really a lot of people are really quite ashamed of and i i don't i think that it has already changed and i think that the commonwealth was a sort of a clever ruse to to sort of ruse might be the wrong word but it was it was a transition that enabled perhaps people not to feel quite so bad about the end of the, the kind of cliff edge yeah. of the end of empire yeah. but there was a real feeling that and there, I think there is a feeling that the Commonwealth will also change. I mean, it's very much now more an African group of nations, and much is made of the fact that there are nations, you know, joining the Commonwealth who were never British colonies because, and they're all African. No way, because it's really. Sort of an, yeah, yeah, yeah. just not know, I mean, you know and there, it's it's because it's an African group of nations, and you know, people, you know, despite despite uh, the UK leaving the EU, generally people like joining groups of nations very very true. so but that just shows you how the commonwealth is viewed in africa as a group of nations not as ex colonies so i mean that actually tells you quite a lot about how africa sees the commonwealth
0: sure yeah so it's actually it's actually a stability and a link
3: so it's just a, a link it's a gr- it's, it's a group of nations a gr- you know it's not quite a trading body but it, I mean, it, they do trade together and you know so in that sense i think it's already changed but i do think that the the majority of people in the UK, English, a lot of English people, particularly younger people, are aware of colonisation and they see it as you know, inextricably linked with slavery. Children are taught a lot about the slave trade at school in the UK. So maybe not so much about the intricacies of the empire in India, but certainly a lot about what happened in Africa and the West Indies. It's a quite a big part of the curriculum. So I do think that that has changed.
2: How are you, Andrew? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think this actually could be a bit of a boon for Liz Truss in terms of, you know, she's going to have to go through all all of this pageantry and all the rest, Mm. but it could actually show a more compassionate side of her character, even though she was anti-royalist.
0: She can't be be bested by the great Tony Blair performance at Lady Di's funeral, which was acting... Out of an extra, I mean, it was, it was, it was Hollywood. I don't remember
3: that. What's oh to? no, it was unbelievable. He the people's princess, queen of hearts, queen of oh, hearts. Yeah, 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 and yeah.
0: then he almost cried, and it was just, it was, it was like, yeah. <laughs> it was Brad Pitt as prime minister.
3: <laughs> well, what I do think is that you know, if you think about the kind of lack of stability that Britain has had over the last five, six years since Brexit, really, certainly, Liz Truss who's a brand new prime minister, is going to be very widely watched in the next 10 days or so over the pageantry that will be part of this extended state funeral, the lying in state. And so the country is going to get to see her. So she's going to be very visible. People who didn't really know her are going to get to see her. And it is also possible, I suppose, that in a time of national grief, if you like, and a desire for stability, that it might buy her a little bit of time. The country is certainly going to get to know her. She will very quickly become a part of the institution. So I have to say, though, you know, when these 10 days are over and we assume that the funeral will take place next Monday people's energy bills are honestly, they're landing on their mats today. And actually, that is what counts. You know, I mean, <laughs> people will very quickly go back to saying, what is the government going to do about an impending crisis that is affecting me and my family and my business today? And actually, I think that while you know, this is a hiatus, Liz Truss's job it has not gone away in any way. And actually, this winter is going to be absolutely crucial for her and for this government and actually for for, for the whole of the UK. I mean, I, I think I can't stress enough just what a pickle the UK is in in terms of its cost of living crisis.
0: Andrea, we will leave it there. As always, a complete pleasure. We're going to actually talk on Thursday about whether we're going back to the 70s, energy bills, all that sort of stuff. The UK does seem to be slightly further down the road in terms of energy crisis than the rest of us. But believe me, the whole world is facing an energy winter and an energy crisis. On that royal note, Andrea, we will leave it and I'll talk to you soon.
3: David, thank you very much indeed. John, a pleasure as always. Cheers, Cheers, Andrea. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.
2: Well, do you know what, based on what Andrea was saying there, I, I don't envy Liz Truss. I don't envy her anyway, <laughs> but I don't envy the position she's in because I don't think she's equipped enough to actually deal with this. As everyone has been saying in the last week, her intro is, you know, it's ah, yeah. apocalyptic intro and all the rest. And this extra thing on top of it is
0: a major one. It is a major one. Well, look, you know, the thing about her, right? is who really cares okay (laughs) no really i mean who really cares it's in and out it's her whatever the interesting thing for me andrea said it makes no difference to northern ireland yeah right i'm not a hundred percent sure it makes no difference okay i think that all of the fracturing of the uk in whatever guise it comes Mm. again Increases or amplifies the attraction for the middle ground in Northern Ireland, the Alliance voters yeah. of an alternative of, I mean, republican, not in the Sinn Fein idea, but the idea that you live in a republic has got some material. I mean, living in a monarchy must feel awful. Yeah, I really feel this, and I really mean this because you know, I've lived, I've lived in Belgium. I've talked to Danish people, I've talked to Dutch people, I've talked to Norwegians, all of whom have monarchies. Well, when I
2: was in Norway that time, one of the, the, the people I was speaking to, her husband regularly goes sailing with the with, prince the or the, prince, the king. Because yeah. he's a normal head. He's a normal head. He, not... he
0: involves himself in society and all that kind so of stuff. So I think that when you, when, you, when you look at the anachronistic, sort of prehistoric, well, it's not prehistoric, it's a feudal system mm. that you have a monarchy. What it does is it makes legitimate a class system which privileges one class over another. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a class system, but it's not enshrined. Yeah. It's not defined by accent. It's not defined by privilege, what your father did, all that sort of stuff, right? The idea you have a house of lords, even. Yeah. I mean, this is horseshit.
2: But, 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 but But the UK monarchy, though, is, from an economic
0: perspective, is a money spinner. I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure that if you take the money spinner, and I'm sure they've, they've got tourism, right? But if you take, this is the spin of the royal family, right? The spin of the royal family is we make money, give us money. And we'll walk around in our gilded carriages yeah. like halfwits, okay? And they are halfwits, right? Mm-hmm. But what it does and is it, is it reinforces a system of hierarchy and privilege by identifying, it's like a feudal lord. I mean, this is, yeah, 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 this yeah, yeah. is pre-enlightenment is. shit, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about the the society, look, so we go from feudalism to maybe the Reformation, attacking the church, and then we go from the Reformation to the Enlightenment, and we have liberal thoughts and the right of individuals and the freedom of man and human rights, and we move towards democracy and we move towards emancipation of various people. We move towards, you know, one man, one vote. And then on the top, you have this bizarre thing with one man, one vote is all right, but this family here, they're totally different. So mm. what, I would, what I think will be the upshot of this is that that institution, that infrastructure, will be examined again in the UK. And the notion of UK... And around the, the Commonwealth. Well, I think, I think Australia, New Zealand. I mean, the fact that the Canadians have a picture of the English Queen on their banknote. Mm. Which is <laughs> on the Canadian yeah. dollar, right? What's for with that, JM? That will all that will <laughs> so that will all change. They're not going to have the Canadians aren't going to have a picture of Prince Charles on their banknote, nor the Aussies, nor the Kiwis, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think what you're going to see is fracturing. I mean, the Commonwealth. Who who do you know who came up with Commonwealth? Cromwell. It was Cromwell's idea, the Commonwealth. Right. It was the wealth of the commons, right? And he was the new model army before they actually came and knocked the shite out of us and then yeah. robbed all our land. Which yes, is a common yeah, yeah, no yeah. wealth, right? The common poverty, right? But the Commonwealth is a Cromwellian idea, right? So all these notions, I think, are up for grabs. And what we're going to do, the great thing about being Irish is we have a front line seat in this drama. And I think we're going to watch the country across the road from us atrophy, fracture, it'll come back because it is a proper big country. Mm. But I think the next couple of years, you know, when we were talking about, we did a podcast on 1922, and yeah. Ezra Pound said that 1922 was the year the modern world began. And what he was saying was that everything that went before 1922 was just the echo of the 19th century. So we say 1922 is the year the 20th century began. So you've got Soviet Union, becomes a, a country, yep, the yep. Irish state. I know it's big for us, but not for everyone else. Yep. Mussolini marches on Rome. Einstein gets the Nobel Prize, the beginning of the atomic age, all that stuff. Joyce writes Ulysses, all that stuff. Yep. What he was basically saying is the real, the future begins now. Yeah. And we were making the point that maybe 2022 with the war in Ukraine, all these other areas, the inflation coming back, et cetera, the end of the pandemic is the really the year the 21st century begins, right? The new century. Yeah. And everything that went before is basically an echo of the last century, you know, the Cold War and all that sort of stuff. And now we've got to reset
2: everything. Well, as you said before, and you used the phrase before, is the end of the Act of Union experiment.
0: Experiment, exactly. And now it kind of feels that, that this year, 2022, with many things, plus now confirmed by the death of the Queen, is the beginning of the new world. And just lastly, John, Bet you Prince Andrew sweating now. <laughs> Talk to you Thursday. Just a quick update on Patreon if you want to go to Kilconomics, the best economics festival in the world, November 3rd to 6th in Kilkenny. You as Patreon member will get first dibs on these tickets and they go extremely quickly. So Patreon, first dibs, kilconomics tickets. No ads, early access access to all economic courses and of course access to the conversation for myself and john answer your questions every single week so patreon.com forward slash dave mcwilliams sign up all for the price of a pint